Hey, welcome to What's the Tea, the TransLink podcast. I'm your host, John Jang, and on this episode, we're going to make Bob proud. So what exactly are we building? Let's find out and tap in to What's the Tea. The next station is... Welcome to What's the Tea, the TransLink podcast. On our last episode, we talked about some of the new and exciting plans we have at TransLink aimed at making your commuting experience easier and more reliable. Things like the Burnaby Gondola Project, the SkyTrain extension to UBC, and pursuing a bus-based approach in our long-term regional strategy on transportation. But those aren't the only things we're planning and developing. After all, Metro Vancouver is a beautiful part of the world, and we're growing. Hello, Canada. Your chief statistician here. I'm pleased to report that we are now 40 million Canadians. What an exciting milestone for our country. Additional supply depots required. A rising population comes with all sorts of opportunities and challenges. More people come here to fill more jobs, and that brings more tax revenue. But people also need places to live and services for them and their loved ones. Well, more and more people are coming to Vancouver, and some projections show that about a million more people will be calling Metro Vancouver home by 2050. All of those people will need housing and recreation centers and schools and other infrastructure. Uh, And with 50,000 newcomers moving into the region every year, Further investment uh, in transit is vital to ensure that we can not only maintain, but expand critically needed services now and into the future. There are two important things to keep in mind. Number one, as we now know, TransLink's funding model requires creative adjustments. With more fuel-efficient or fully electric cars on the road, the fuel tax, which makes up roughly 20% of TransLink funding, is a declining revenue source. And number two, we need more housing, especially as our population in Metro Vancouver continues to grow. On the outside, it's easy to look at this and think, those are two big problems. But inside TransLink, our experts call this an opportunity. So it just makes a lot of sense for TransLink to be engaging in real estate development. This is Sabrina Hamidula, Director of Real Estate Development at TransLink. Sabrina and her team have the important job of transforming this idea and opportunity into reality, building transit-oriented developments and creating a new revenue stream for the company. What is TransLink doing in trying to get into real estate development here? Well, from my perspective, it's a long time coming. But yeah, most people, when you say real estate or you say, I say I'm a TransLink and I'm doing real estate development, they're like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) So really, people will say a good transportation plan is a good line use plan. And I think that's where our real estate development uh, program kind of comes in. So the idea... I'm going to get philosophical here, like the idea that people uh, congregate and settle near major modes of transit has been something that's kind of happened since the beginning of time. You look at, you know, railway stations, that's where cities and city centers were kind of born. Uh, And so the same is with our major transit stations, the idea that we should focus development and people and jobs and, you know, all kinds of uses right at our transit stations um, is something that really is kind of the ethos behind the development program. One of the things that, of course, we have to focus on is uh, like the first 
development from your team, your baby, if you will. So please announce uh, what is probably one of the most exciting things you're working on right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one, I am so proud of, of TransLink, everybody involved, our team. You know, we only just got our mandate in April last year. And to be where we are right now with uh, the Broadway Arbutus Project in terms of not only having a partnership, but, but having a concept and a plan that we're already sharing with the public is, is really, really awesome. So the Broadway uh, Arbutus Project is a property that came into our portfolio, was originally acquired um, for the Broadway Subway subway station it was not required so it fell into our portfolio and uh, it's a smallish property so we were very lucky to find a development partner just next door with PCI Um, so the plan there is for us to bring our properties together our proposal is for a 30-story mixed-use development comprising of market rental amazing Uh, it'll have 20% below market uh, units amazing just really going to animate uh, that intersection the Dianine bus will start there so there'll be a lot of students there so it's going to be a really vibrant area um, that's where our station will be so we will have retail at grade um, there is a bus nearby a bus route uh, the greenway so it's it's an incredible site and we're so excited to have a development concept there one that brings so many things together one that realizes the investment the province is making in the broadway subway plan by um, seeing high-rise mixed-use development happening right at its doorstep i suppose then like the the next follow-up question would be like why is translink doing this is it matter of just doing it now because the opportunity strikes or was there maybe a, a bigger reason for that there are so many reasons um you know, this program, although I said in the beginning, it's a long time coming, it became, the mandate was officially, you know, ushered in, approved by Mayor's Council, Translink Board, it became official um, last year, early last year. So many things leading up to that. One of them is revenue generation for Translink. So as you know, and I know, Translink as the regional authority for, for Vancouver is is responsible for funding its own expansion. And TransLink is very innovative and looking for new ways to do that that don't burden our taxpayers. And uh, real estate development was one of those ideas. Um, We do own real estate in the system. And the idea was, you know, this is prime property for for creating these spaces that people want to live and that this is something that we we can unlock for revenue generation for TransLink. The idea being that that all the benefits would be rolled right back into the transit system to help us grow, to help us, again, meet the demands of our growing base that we have here in terms of of commuters. So revenue generation is certainly a driving factor. I, I really believe we're being fiscally responsible when we do that we take our existing assets and you know leverage them to be able to create value not just monetary but lots of other value you know lots of other benefits that we'll talk about um and then also just when when you do development your uh we we hope through our program to to really enhance our transit service mm. our transit offerings and it really also brings forward the um metro vancouver's regional growth strategy when we look at TransLink getting into real estate, I think it's exciting. To your point, a lot of great benefits to come through uh, once all of that is realized and you know we start getting those homes constructed and everything. That's great. 
How does TransLink, and maybe this is more of a narrative on Metro Vancouver, how do we compare with other cities around North America? Are other cities and agencies in Canada doing the same thing? Maybe we look at places in maybe California, Washington State. Like, is this sort of yeah. groundbreaking or no, are we I, following a precedent? I have been hearing and learning about tra- like transit-oriented development is a term terminology that goes way back, like way back. But as of now, um, it is... You can't pick up like an urban planning or a transport transit kind of magazine without reading about transit oriented development. So it is happening at a pace and a scale that we haven't seen before. Um, and when I say transit oriented development, that could be delivered by the private sector. Mostly, that's where we've seen it come from. It is a reason. It is uh, something that now public agencies around the world are getting into, um, like TFL in London, Transport for London. They have a huge real estate development program. Of course, everybody knows about Hong Kong and MTR and how they've really leveraged real estate to um, to really fund. Like it is, a, it is how they fund their system. So it's it's very different around the world. Um, it's happening in in Toronto. It's happening in Montreal. It's happening now in Vancouver as well. Let's take this opportunity to once again just put things into perspective. What are the operational benefits for TransLink getting into real estate development, and how does it impact you, the customer? For that, we go to another scoop with Coop. Here's our friend David Cooper, the principal at Leading Mobility Consulting. So I'm quite excited about TransLink's announcement on this, partially because, one, we do have a housing affordability crisis in several cities across Canada, and it really shows the leadership of a transit agency to really evolve its mandate beyond of the transport of people, but also its ability to leverage housing outcomes on transit sites. I'll walk a little bit through a project that we're doing right now. Um, the Canadian Urban Transit Association is doing a, a project that I'm leading where we're looking at how do you maximize these housing outcomes and and development outcomes at transit stations because transit stations usually have a lot of infrastructure components and a lot of land. One of the complex um, pieces that we have when we look at our stations is that sometimes you'll have large park and ride sites where you typically have them where where people will drive to a transit station, usually a rapid transit station to connect to the transit system to go on to other modes and other destinations. If you look at places like Toronto, the largest parking provider in Ontario is actually Go Transit. Hmm. And it's the big parking lots around the transit stations. And there's these huge opportunities to help lift up ridership for those who rely on transit by building housing and these developments on transit sites so that one, we we capture the riders to increase revenue and two, lessen the burden on the rest of the transit system to ferry people in. What makes these projects generally successful though, David? You mentioned the increased revenue. That makes a lot of sense when you're also trying to take a big picture look at funding revenues and funding models for transportation agencies all across North America and maybe even the world for that matter. So these projects um, are successful when you have, you know, the right densities, the right mixes of uses, um, the uh, attractiveness when it comes to the real estate market uh, for for your people to purchase these units. What's very favorable for TransLink is the real estate market has shown that there is a high uh, rate that people will will pay and want to have to be close to transit. If you go down the Millennium Line, you'll go, you'll see things like Brentwood Town Center. You'll see. Um, uh, on the Expo line, Metro Town, you'll see uh, a lot of growth we're seeing around low heat. I think we'll have a lot of success because it's actually a highly integrated, connected part of our region with the transit system. But also there's a lot of other components and uses around that particular area. So TransLink can help build out and complete that community 
by providing also that increased access to housing that many are looking for and many many see the the value and the amenity of that. Convenient access to public transportation, a network of amenities and infrastructure created for the purpose of building communities and encouraging growth in a population that would theoretically be relying less on driving to get from point A to point B. That is the long-term payoff when talking about transit-oriented developments. All right, let's go finish our chat with Sabrina. I always remind everybody around me that we are building the future. So we have to think about now. We have to think about you know, near future, and then we have to think about the long-term future. So we need to come up with, if we're planning a neighborhood, like a, a small community, we need to think about developing something that is robust and resilient in terms of being able to grow with the population. So we consider the long-term needs of uh, our, the growing population demands and the long-term transit needs, and we really bake that into our uh, thinking in terms of master planning a site or, you know, if it's a smaller site, how can we make that very transit friendly? So that is um, a, a, a constant consideration and we will be working to, to develop our visions and our plans. So given that this is a new program, uh, really groundbreaking stuff that you and your team are doing currently to, again, advance what people want to see out of not just TransLink, but I would yeah agree with you, Metro Vancouver just as a whole. How is TransLink like getting into that? And, and, and what is the process like maybe working with partners? Because I imagine like this is something you need to have lots of conversations with so many people from maybe government, from other sectors, trying to make sure TransLink is able yeah. to do this. Yeah. Yeah. How are we going to get into that? Um, well, I would say that we're well positioned. First of all, everybody wants this. So every municipality that we have spoken to, everybody's like about time, like, please, like, start, like, what can we do? Where are your sho- Like, we'll give you shovels, get started already. So there's there's a huge amount of support for this. Um, I would say, you know, from the public, from, from the cities, from the private industry as well. So that's fantastic. And then internally uh, in our organization, we have so much expertise. Like we are, we're writing the book on traffic demand management. Like the expertise is in-house, um, the inspiration in terms of of developing transparent communities, a lot of that, the excellence is within our own organization. And um, in terms of partnerships, like it, it happens in various stages. Uh, earlier on in our planning, we're engaging the, the best, brightest, uh, most innovative innovative minds to help us with this planning work uh, you know world class uh, we're, we're really looking for global expertise in terms of uh, the cons- consultant support that we'll be getting so that's uh, you know early stages but when it comes to delivering um, these projects we do envision that we're going to be partnering with the private sector again um, you know it's 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 a beautiful way of of leveraging what everybody does best you know we're bringing what we bring back what we do best to the table we're inviting private sector to partner up with us and do what they do best you know they're developers who've been in this game for so long know how to manage risk and and you know financing and funding um so we're you know we're bringing it all together and everybody's bringing something of value to the table and that's how our partnerships will be coming forward. Um, a question uh, that we may be asked is, is how will we be selecting partners? So it will be on a project by project basis and um, it'll be it'll be a transparent process, probably a competitive process in terms of how we select those partners when the time is right to do so. So we're bringing opportunities up to a point uh, where they are ready so that we can then um, do partnerships. 
And how does this all sort of weave into like the big long-term company strategies, things like Transport 2050 and, and, and all of that? I suppose like all of it kind of works hand in hand to, as you say, accelerate yeah. things like transit-oriented communities. Yeah, it's actually very well aligned. So the Transport T50, the Metro um, Regional Growth Strategy, um, they're so aligned in terms of visionary and in terms of bringing mass transit and population growth and density together um, in terms of how we are deliver, like how the development program will actually realize those goals and aspirations. Um, I, you know, we believe that with it, it we're providing people options um, in terms of being able to make a choice uh, to be able to live close to a transit station, to be able to walk, to cycle, to take transit, and you know to ride share, and you know we're also TransLink is also responsible for the major road network. So you know we have we are also thinking about our our commuters and um, drivers mm -hmm. as well. So we we are considering everybody and and just trying to create better choices. So I think by creating those choices. People can opt to live closer to transit, um, so that helps with our sustainability goals. It helps with carbon emissions. Um, it helps with our ridership and the revenue generation helps as well. As I said, that will help there from growing more transit as well and more services and expansions. TransLink is breaking ground with its real estate development program to generate new long-term revenue, which will be reinvested into the region's transportation system. As the region continues to grow, welcoming up to 50,000 new residents annually, we need to provide people with sustainable ways to move and live. It's a lot like I said, blending the need for new revenue streams with the need for more housing doesn't have to be a problem, but rather an opportunity. My thanks to Sabrina Hamidula for a wonderful conversation on real estate development and David Cooper for another Scoop with Coop, always painting that big picture on these issues. My thanks to producer Alan, who's the brains of this operation, and also to you for listening and subscribing. I've been your host, John Jang. Until next time, have a safe trip. Coast Mountain Bus Company is hiring bus drivers. As one of BC's top employers, they offer many perks, including paid training and exceptional benefits. Apply by May 22nd at translink.ca slash drive.